Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. done very bigly who else could it be it's forced perspective this is episode 84 the magnificent sully i'm your host sports guy 515 and on this episode we kick off the fall slate of films with reviews of sully blair witch snowden and the magnificent seven but before we get rolling i'm gonna introduce my co-host combining the charisma of chris pratt and the wackiness of vincent d'onofrio ladies and gentlemen adolfo uh well let's see Chris Pratt Vincent D'Onofrio I'll take that I, I'm working on the beard of Vincent D'Onofrio in that movie I've already I've already got his gut <laughs> so you just need the beard and your and you'll be his uh, mirror image I assume yeah yeah except except brown <laughs> but I'm sure you have the best beard just like you know someone we know mutually has the best words he only knows the best words very bigly. So very bigly. Yeah. No, you know, and I wrote a status about this the other day, but you know who has like the one of the like the best beards like on on cinema, like in cinema, like recorded cinema history. It's James Brolin in the Amityville Horror, the original Amityville Horror. Oh, I know. I haven't seen that in so long. I completely forgot about that. It was on TV the other day, and it was like I was out the, on my lunch break, and it was playing on TV on the on the you know the restaurant TV, uh, and it was, and then I just looked up, and there was James Brolin in the Amityville Horror. I'm like, that's a fantastic beard. It's so well trimmed. <laughs> it's well trimmed. It's thick. It's kind of luscious. I was very jealous of that beard. Well, speaking of Brolin, I was channel surfing about a couple of weeks ago, and the Westworld was on a Sci-Fi, um, and I actually. Uh, I sat there and watched it because it's fucking James Brolin and it's Westworld. So, yeah. And then, have you started watching the show yet or no? I have not. I have not watched the show. I've heard that it's pretty good. I have not gotten around to it. I watched the pilot. The pilot is great, but I haven't gotten around to catching up with the other episodes. I think it's only been like three or four so far, but um, but it's a great show. Anybody definitely check out Westworld or check out the film because they're both awesome. But. Anywho, all right, let's get the ball rolling here. Um, so last episode, we wrapped up summer 2016 with a nice little bow. That's done. 
kaput. So now we can kind of start with the more recent films, The Fall Slate. Um, and I think The Fall really got underway with uh, cl- this film that we're about to talk about, Clint Eastwood's latest, uh, starring our boy Tom Hanks, Tommy Hanks, as I like to call him. It's uh, Sully. Now, you haven't seen this, right, Adolfo? I have not uh, had a chance to see this one. Okay. Well, I'll uh, see if I can wrap it up in a neat little package for you. So, Sully, like I just mentioned, directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Tom Hanks. Uh, Aaron Eckhart is also in this film. Um, um, what else could I say about Sully? I mean, everybody knows the nickname Sully by now. It's a pretty famous incident, U.S. Airways Flight 1549, the Miracle on the Hudson. Um, it's partly based on Sully's own autobiography, so it, the autobiography is called Highest Duty, My Search for What Really Matters. And it has to deal with, you know, the the big event, the miracle on the Hudson, and this kind of aftermath, what happens to Sully, like his newfound fame, um, and how he kind of deals with that. And then the ensuing uh, NTSB investigation that kind of tries to ruin Sully, at least in the film it does. Um, the biggest thing to take away from this film is Tommy Hanks, bro. The incredible performance by, by Tommy Hanks. He completely loosens himself in the character. And it, it sounds kind of cliche to say this, but it's at times you kind of lose yourself in the film and you imagine that that's actually Sully. I mean, I've, I've seen enough interviews that he's done, especially... I was in college when this happened. And I remember just the media frenzy that the whole thing kind of begot. And I've seen, like, countless interviews with Sully, whether it's Today Show, here and there. I think Oprah even interviewed him. And I just remember just how he talks, his demeanor, and Tom Hanks captures that perfectly here. Um, and I feel, and I'm going to I'm gonna say it now, bro. It's October, but I'm going to say it right now. He's going to start, he's going to be in the talk for, uh, for award season, whether it's Best Actor at the Golden Globes or even the Oscars. He's going to be in the running for something come award season. But, uh... Personally, I feel that he not only captured Sully the character, but there's a very distinct stoicism to it. Because this is a man who endured a potentially tragic situation, made it out alive, made sure his passengers made it out alive, and now has like the national spotlight kind of forcibly thrust upon him. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't see himself as a hero. Like, to him, he's just a guy who did his job. He was just doing his job that day. Um, and Tom Hanks really captures that characterization perfectly, and you know what, dare I say, it's now, in my opinion, one of the best performances of his career. Um, another thing that goes in the plus column for this movie is Clint Eastwood's directing now. Say what you want about Clint Eastwood, he's a little bit nutty these days, but his directing here is actually very engaging and attention-grabbing to the film. Um, uh, what Eastwood does, the way he kind of frames the narrative is he kind of we see the the actual flight 1549 in flashbacks and each time we see the the flashbacks of the flight is through a different perspective first you see it through sully's eyes then you see it through uh um jeffrey skiles's eyes which is his first pilot which um aaron eckhart played then you see it through the the flight attendants through the the passengers so each time you see the flight you see different pieces of it through different perspectives and it's really an interesting way to kind of it, it kind of serves as the gateway to each chapter of the film. And it's an interesting also way to also kind of frame the uh, frame the event itself. Because you see it through different perspectives. You know, you, you would think, oh, I'm seeing the same scene over and over again. But it's kind of like with the human experience. People always have their own individual ways of viewing anything. So seeing those different perspectives kind of gives it that human nature quality to it. Um, and on a similar note to that, 
I actually sell this in IMAX, and the only IMAX scenes are the the scenes on Flight 1549, and honestly, they're the only scenes that deserve to have the IMAX treatment because it's really, really, really thrilling. The most thrilling part of the film, I should say. And I mean, it's another here's another cliche line, but you actually feel like you're on the plane with the surround sound and the giant screen in your face, like. It, was, it really was the most thrilling part of the film. Um, another thing about the film is that it's only 96 minutes long. It's not really that long of a film. Barely over an hour and a half. That's including the credits. Um, but it certainly feels like a longer film. Now, depending on the type of film, that could either be a good or a bad thing. I mean, we've, we've seen enough films to kind of gauge that, like you and I, like with our best judgment. But the fact that Sully is so good at keeping the audience glued to the events, to every frame is kind of what allows the film to trick it into thinking they're watching like a two or two and a half hour epic. Um, but to me, this is just another, another example of Eastwood's kind of terrific directing here. Um, he makes the allotted time count. He gives the audience as much info as possible without making it seem like he's cramming too much in. Like The whole thing just has a natural flow and progression to it. And it makes it a very easy watch. But um, to me, this is an easy recommend. You know, it's actually directed. It's a fascinating story. Tom Hanks, great performance. Um... It's such a wonderful experience as a whole. It's a feel-good film, and it very humbly pays tribute to Sully, who's a different kind of hero. You know, so I definitely, when it comes out on Blu-ray, I definitely, definitely recommend it. Yeah. So this is a movie that it's it, it every time it almost has Captain Phillips effect on me, and and boy, by that I mean is that when Captain Phillips came out, what was it, three years ago? Um, every time I saw the trailer, I was like, I don't care. I don't, I have no interest in this movie. Uh, I, I don't really want to see it. Um, and it, you know, it, it, that was a Tom Hanks movie as well. I think this is a and better I, film though. My opinion. And I when I, both, I, it, it, this is a better film. Okay. But when I finally saw Captain Phillips, I was like, oh my God, that was a fantastic film. And it was just marketed poorly. Like I didn't like the way it was marketed because it just every time I saw it, it really just kind of the the, the commercials bugged me, the trailers bugged me. And this is a movie that's kind of getting the same. It's not as bad as Deepwater Horizon because every time I see Deepwater Horizon trailers, <laughs> we'll I talk seriously about that one next week. Actually, I but. seriously want to like hit something. It just everything about that trailer just makes me want to. I, I will literally never watch that movie because that trailer. Oh, and uh, spoiler alert! Just you know, a preview for next week's show. It's not that great. So. Okay. Yeah. See, I didn't think it was. Um, but you know, and, and last time there was a Clint Eastwood movie, like it was uh, American Sniper. American Sniper, which I've been on record as not liking at all. Well, uh, and we talked about this at like I'm the opposite on that spectrum, but yeah, you are, you are, uh, and that's a very divisive movie. There's a lot of critics that hate that movie. A lot of kids that like that movie. I'm on. I don't hate the movie. I just. I don't think that it's a very good film. Um, so it, it, there's not much drawing me to this film, to be honest with you. So uh, I, I've had opportunities to see it, but I kept seeing other things instead just because I just didn't feel like seeing this one in particular. Yeah. So it just it hasn't – and I just like, eh, I'll wait for DVD or I'll wait for Blu-ray or wait for Redbox or whatever because I was just kind of like uh, – and that's probably what I'll end up doing at, at some point because I'm sure there will be you know some Oscar – buzz around it so whenever we're heading towards the end of the year and then we're, we're talking like best of the year stuff i'm gonna have to probably plunk down some time to watch it which is probably when i'll do it uh, i just at this point it just kind of there's just nothing calling my name about it what i will think is interesting though is that um i i i remember the the landing in the 
in the Hudson. I remember that very well. I remember it being covered in the news, but I don't remember there being any controversy around. I just remember him being hailed as a hero. Did they was there like controversy around him in the news or was it all internal stuff? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the mini controversy that this film caused because, of course, it's Clint Eastwood. So, yes, this caused a little controversy nowadays. Um, so the real story is that there really was no controversy as far as the flight and Captain Sullenberger. It was proven that he did what he was supposed to do and, you know, he was pretty much cleared of any potential wrongdoing. Um, but the way the, the narrative of the film goes is that the NTSB investigators are kind of out to get him. They're thinking, oh, you didn't do this right. You know, you're, it's your fault that the plane had to basically land in, in the Hudson River. You know, they kind of – they're out to get him. And even Sully himself, when interviewed, said that's not how it was at all. The autobiography says that's not how it was at all. They weren't that aggressive to him, you know. But when you really think about it, okay, this is Clint Eastwood directing it, and he needs an antagonist. Of who, And, of course, he doesn't like the government. He's a very staunch, you know, Republican in his political views who hates government. So this very falls in line with kind of Eastwood's kind of political spectrum, basically painting a man versus government narrative. So it kind of skews the official record. But again, this kind of all falls into artistic license. Um, and if you if you want to hear the real story, there's many reliable sources where you can read the real story, including Captain Sullenberger's book. So, I mean, that's how the narrative frames it. We're like it's the NTSB versus Sully when that's not really how it happened. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'll I'll get around to watching it. It just there's just nothing like that's calling my name about it, so I I've been really putting it off. All right. Uh, but but definitely I I do definitely recommend. It. I mean maybe the film itself won't get any like nominations for anything, but Tom Hanks I predict will because he was really really great. He one of his best performances I think. Well, the, and, the, and the thing is is that he he will probably um. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he, 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 even if he doesn't get some recognition, I think that the, the film is probably in, in pretty high regard right now, as far as the credit. I've seen it pretty highly praised, um, and it, 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 it's a bounce back from that, uh, from from his huge, enormous flop he had earlier this year. The that hologram for a king. Have you heard about that movie? I heard of it. Yeah, I never. I, I, I've seen no trailers for it, no ads anywhere. So I, I remember a poster for it, and that's it. I remember I saw a trailer for it when I, once over the summer, and I forget what it, I forget what movie I was going to see. I think it was a smaller movie because I had to go out of my way to find the, the movie playing. And I, don't ask me which one. You know what? It may have been Green Room. I mean, it went to maybe it was Green Room. Anyway, it was a small it was a small movie in a, at a small theater, and I had to go out of my way to 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 find a theater that played this movie that I went to see. I don't remember which one it was. And then they played the hologram for the King trailer right beforehand. And I remember that shortly afterwards, like a month later, I already saw it being advertised on DVD, and I was like, okay, this is a big <laughs> Tom Hanks movie. Tom Hanks movie, and you know, it's not uncommon nowadays for for smaller films to get like a. Uh, same day VOD and um, uh, the in theater release, or have an have a short in theater release and then go right to DVD video or whatever, right? Like it, it, that has happened, but that's usually with short, like smaller, smaller films. This is a this is a big Tom, uh, not Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks vehicle, and it was so quickly soon on home home media that I was like, uh oh, that can't be good for that movie. 
And I never saw it advertised anywhere else. So apparently I think it was a massive, massive bomb. Oh, I think I agree with you there, man. I mean, I, I just saw, I just look at the title, but hologram for a king, and I'm like, you know? So, like, it's not even an interesting title, but whatever. Uh, I mean, just looking at, I, mean, I did a quick Google search just now for it. It has a 6.1 on IMDb, a 6, uh, 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. So not bad, but it doesn't doesn't scream good, right, like as far as quality goes. Uh, let me look at the box office. Ooh, seven million. Ooh, that's not good. Oh, what, what, what was the budget? I wonder if the budget's anywhere. Uh, I can't find a budget for it. But seven million is probably not very. Good. It's probably a lot lower than they yeah, wanted. For Tom for, Hanks film. For uh, Tom Hanks. I mean, he's got to get a li- at least a million of that, right? So, uh, anyway. Well, just remember, like to kind of put a bow on Sully and Tom Hanks. If you see him on the street, just leave him be. So, anyway. Yeah. So. Um, moving on to our next film, uh, I will let you take the rein on this because I know uh, I'm I'm awaiting the nice rants that you've become known for. Um, I'm gonna let you have Blair Witch, bro. So I'm gonna let you take that away. Oh boy, thanks. <laughs> All right, so the uh, Blair Witch and, and you're tired and cranky, so this will make it even better. Yeah, we, we you you guys missed about the ten minutes of me bitching about being a uh, being um. Not being, I'm also pitching about being a father before we went on the air, but I was just kind of talking about uh, my difficulties of trying to get on the air in the first place uh, with my child tonight. But we won't get into too many details on that. Let's just say I'm a little, I'm a little tired right now. Um, Blair Witch, so not the Blair Witch Project, but just Blair Witch, in that continuing the the, the tradition of, of of sequels that take the name of the first one, but kind of just simplify it, kind of. So instead of uh, Final Destination it was the Final Destination and the things like that. So this is Blair Witch, uh, and this is a direct sequel to the original Blair Witch Project from 1999. Now we all know that there was the terrible sequel a year later called Book of Shadows. That movie in this, there was. You didn't know that. There was. You, you, you honestly didn't know that. No, I, I'm, I've erased it from my memory. So. Oh, okay. I've I've never seen. I, I've neuralized uh, myself of that film. So. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've only heard how bad it is. Um, well, but, I saw it in the, in the theater. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Why? So. Uh, that, that's not. Let's yeah, not get into that. This film ignores that. Ignores that film because, from my understanding of of Book of Shadows, is that in the film Book of Shadows, um, the Blair Witch Project was a movie. And they and the people in the Book of Shadows movie are then investigating what happens in the movie, and it it, and it kind of breaks the mythology of the film mm. uh, because it takes place in a different reality or whatever. It doesn't matter. So this doesn't. So this ignores that. This is a direct sequel to the original Blair Witch Project, except shifted 15 years later or 17 years later, however many years it is. Uh, our main character is uh, James. And he is a uh, he's the little brother of Heather, the original uh, girl in the original film. Uh, and he's 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 accompanied by a group of, to be honest, stock horror movie characters. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what they are. They're stock horror movie victims um, who are and they are making a documentary in the same way that the original Blair Witch Crew did, except this is him. Trying going back to the woods where his sister disappeared and trying to find 
evidence of what happened to her or or what or she's still alive or or what happened because she went missing he's basically trying to close the close the gap close the loop on 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 this mystery that's been haunting him for all these years now that premise in and of itself is actually a pretty fine idea i actually like that idea it's not bad it's a good way it's a good way to to, to make a sequel out of it um and and, and you know the trailer for this film if you ever, if you the trailer wasn't too bad either it was actually pretty it was a pretty entertaining trailer and it made and actually made me kind of excited to go in and watch this film um the the problem is the execution the execution is all wrong uh whereas in the first film you had three uh i wouldn't i don't want to say non-professional actors they were professional actors they were just inexperienced professional actors um who were put into a situation where the directors of the original film tried to get as much genuine reactions as possible as opposed to this film which plays out like uh while it is a found footage movie it plays out like the most generic horror movie um the most generic horror movie acting and and plotting and everything else it follows the same beats as the first Blair Witch movie um without any real change to the dynamic of anything it adds a couple more people there's some weird guy that they hook up with that that they think has has footage uh that they that they they found out later is faked it's not good Uh, the film it's it misses every bit of bite that the original film has and i like the original film it misses every little bit of bite that the original film has It, it turns it into a random into a generic horror movie and it it just doesn't it, it it just it was so frustrating to watch it really was I, I you know and here's the thing i'm not one of those people that complains about like oh i i, was, I get sick at watching these you know these movies as far as you know the, the way the motion sickness goes and like this is the first time i've ever had to complain about that the way the camera movements were working here i got actually kind of sick looking at the screen and this is this didn't, that didn't happen to me in the original blair wish project now i was a lot younger then maybe that has something to do with it but just watching it this way in a theater, I, I actually kind of got sick looking at the camera. I will give a credit for a couple of things. The first thing I'll give a credit for is the actual premise. I think the premise is decent. Him going to find find out the mystery of what happened to his his sister, not a bad idea. Uh, the second thing I'll give a credit for is they, unlike a lot of found footage films, um, the reason they keep filming is is pretty good because they're just constant they just constantly have the devices on like like a headset kind of gimmick right it's like on their yeah. head anyway so it's not like someone is holding a camera and pressing the record button when normally they would turn the record button off if they were actually in danger so because these cameras are constantly rolling and they're like on like a, a on like a headset sort of thing it makes sense for the camera to still be to still be going and it makes sense that they would in the moment wouldn't necessarily think to turn it on or off because it's already on them so i will give them credit for that i'll give them credit for the drone uh that they 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 use a drone at one point and it's an it's an it's a neat extra feature they add except they don't use it that much they use it like in maybe two shots once they use it once to show, hey, we have a drone, and the second time they use it is to show, oh, we don't have a drone anymore. Uh, and the and the last thing I'll give it credit for is the the, the climactic last shot. Uh, there were it was decently staged that there was a little bit of tension there. It wasn't bad. 
Um, it would have worked in a conventional horror movie a little better than in a found footage movie uh, because they, they really went heavy into the special effects and and, the, and and things like that, which was which is pretty in – a, in a regular horror movie, it would have worked better than, than a found footage film, I think. But I'll give them credit for at least trying to build some tension there. I'll give them credit for all those things. Everything else, the film was boring. I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> most of this film i just wanted people to die because they were that annoying there's nobody likable not even the main character like there's nobody likable in this the main character is just kind of boring um the other person like uh, uh i forget the, the her name but the 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 student whose film this is in the first place she is like the most the most stereotypical I'm a film student in a movie kind of character. The 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 other two characters that are long for the ride, it's like, why are you even long for the ride? Why are you even there? There's no purpose for you guys to be here other than to get killed. And then the two creepy people that they meet along the way, again, they're like, you're just there to get killed. Why are you here? <laughs> um, oh, you know what? Let me go back. There is one thing, I, uh, one more thing I will give, the, give it credit for, and it, and it is a concept that they introduced in the film where uh, that that when you're stuck in these woods, there is kind of like a time distortion so that you feel like you're in there longer than time has actually passed. So at, at certain point, oh, some of these characters get separated and when they get back for them, it's been days. But for the other people, it's only been hours. That's a really neat concept. It's just not fully explored. So it's it, it it just kind of it's the concept is cool, but it's just kind of dumped on you, and it's not it's not a con- consistent scene throughout the movie. I thought it was gonna play into uh, maybe we see we would see Heather at the end of the movie or something, or spoilers you don't, or or, or like it it, it it or something because they introduced that element. You think oh. Maybe there's going to be so. I thought maybe oh maybe the, because of this time distortion when they go back to the when they find the cabin they'll actually be back in 1999 or whatever whenever the original people were there. that didn't happen so it was just kind of like well then why did you introduce that that concept why is it even there if you're not going to actually use it like it's a neat concept go with it roll with it but they right. didn't do anything with it uh it was so it, it that's what the problem with this film is it introduces some cool concepts it has a good idea and then it just proceeds to just become a regular horror movie it, it it's my it's it almost is the same problem that the purge has the original purge movie has where the concept is great but the execution is like, oh, but now we're just going to make a boring home invasion movie. <laughs> it's like I've seen these. That's movie a great movies. comparison, actually. Like I, I, I it's, I've seen this movie before. It's not, it's not, it's not funny. It's not fun. It's just kind of like, I've seen this before. Like do something new. You, you had an idea and then you dropped it. I was, it was a frustrating film. I, can, I can't really recommend it. Not even as a real companion piece. I, I think all the characters are completely expendable. Uh, I, I think they're boring as hell. Uh, and I think any good ideas it has, I think it wastes. Oh, one thing I really hated, I really hated that you saw the Blair Witch. They they showed oh, yeah. the Blair oh, Witch. Oh, one of my thing. biggest gripes. Yep, I and agree with you. Now, and it – oh, I was so annoyed. I was so, so, so annoyed that they did that because in the first film, you don't see her. You don't – and in the first film, it's a lot, it's a lot more um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It is a lot more ambiguous. As to what is actually happening and that you know that by the end of the film that there is a supernatural force happening. But since you never see the witch, it is left to your own interpretation of, okay, what is happening? And then the film cuts off. Here, 
you see them get chased by a monster and it's it's terrible i really yeah. hate I really, really hated it. I think, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to rewrite the movie, but again, if they would have played with that time element thing where there was like a distortion with the with 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 that cabin or with that center of the woods, if they would have in the end when they're running away from that something, if they would have played into the first movie that maybe you saw glimpses of the, the characters from the first movie or something, that would have been better. That would have been neat. I've been like, oh, look at that. They kind of tied it together. But no, it was just. Oh look, there's a monster! Great, and and uh, it's it's bad. It, it, it's it left such a bad taste in my mouth. I was really really disappointed with this one. To your point on the time distortion thing, I half expected what you just said with them to run into like Heather to happen. I had it in the back of my head like, okay, well they set it up. It's they, perfectly set up to do that. That exactly. Like and and I will agree that is. For me personally, that's probably like the only thing that I like that they kind of toyed with that idea, but they never saw it through. They kind of just teased you with it, and then they kind of just dropped it all together. You know, it was very, very lazy writing in my opinion. But you were very, you were nicer to this film than I'm gonna be, because the thing is with me. Okay, so I've said many times on the show that one of my favorite things about a movie that a movie could do is viral marketing. And I think when you look back on the history of film, the Blair Witch Project, the original film is probably the king in the viral marketing aspect. Because for years, I thought this was an actual documentary. I found an actual, like, real event that happened because they marketed it so well. And I actually, because I saw this film and I kind of got nostalgic for the original film, I actually bought the original, uh, it's not the novel, but it's like a dossier about, from the events of, of the first film where it has like police reports um missing persons reports it has like you know testimonies pages out of heather's journal you know it's like they really went all out to make you think these were actual people that went missing in the woods you know they even had that fake documentary that they made about the documentary you know i forgot what it's called but i think it was like on sci-fi channel like around the time the movie came out like in 1999 2000 they were always showing it you know the fact that they went that far into like the marketing to make you think this was real, I thought for years it was real. It wasn't until like 2003, 2004 when they, I finally found out it was fake. you know. But for this film, not one fake documentary about the brother trying to search for the sister, not one website with the fake crime scene photos, not one missing person's flyer. And I think I, I was reading about the making of the, uh, the original film, and they actually went to like the the director and some of the actors because you know they were nobodies they actually went to like screenings and to different film festivals and started handing out the missing persons flyers for heather and the other guys you know that's that's how it started like the whole like marketing so they just started handing out missing persons flyers and people thought those are actual missing persons but for this film nothing they just treated it like just another horror film which completely kills any hope of kind of trying to recapture that aura that the franchise was founded on. I mean, talk about a missed opportunity. We talk about that little plot aspect of the, the time distortion. Here's another missed opportunity. They could have got all out with the marketing, and they and they and there was nothing, absolutely nothing. There was no hype to this film, and it just leads to the whole feeling of the audience, you and I, just feeling indifferent to the story, to the characters, to just everything about it. Um, I will just... I'm going to disagree with you with on one point about there not being any hype. There was a little bit of hype, 
and and it was the only real marketing they did was like the lack of marketing and then surprising you with oh by the way it's new Blair Witch movie because no one knew it was coming because it was I think it was like kept under wraps and kept oh, a secret yeah, I, yeah, so I that, hear about that you're right so when it dropped when the trailer dropped everyone lost their minds because they were so excited about it and they're like oh my god new Blair Witch movie this is coming out of nowhere and they freaked out and that bit of marketing was actually kind of good. But then they just did nothing with it. So right. I, I I will disagree with you that there wasn't any hype. There was some hype. They just bungled it. I mean, I, I did I did actually read about that when the uh, when the the trailer actually dropped and everyone was kind of like, oh my god, a new player witch. And I'm just reading the thing like, okay, you know, I it's like like there was no like I I saw okay new Blair witch film. I'm like, all right, like the hype didn't come from me. Now I'm just talking about me personally. So I really didn't see any like real hype for this but i i did read about like you know they kind of tricked the audience and thinking this was going to be another generic film and it was a blair witch then they showed the trailer so i'll i'll kind of concede to your point on that one but you know they kind of did nothing with it and that's that's very disappointing because the original film was like the king of, of viral marketing right? you, you could kind of argue that they kind of started the current trend of how viral marketing works so and, you know, I've said it many times on this show. I love talking I love talking about viral marketing. Like When you kind of engage the audience on that kind of visceral, you know, sense like that, it it helps drive interest in the film and it kind of gets you more hooked to it. But as far as the rest of the film goes, let's not take too much time about because you kind of summed it up very well. But it's very easy to predict within the first five minutes that nobody's making it out alive. I mean, the journey to the inevitable conclusion could have still been enjoyable had the filmmakers tried to, I don't know, create something a little more original other than, I mean, I'll, like I conceded to the, the time distortion kind of plot thing that they kind of jumbled. But here's what annoyed me the most, bro, and I, you're going to agree with this because we talked about it last episode. We talked about Don't Breathe, the jump scares, bro, the forced jump scares that I hate yes. in horror movies. Oh um, my god, it was so annoying this movie. And, like, it was other, so like, annoying. Every other minute there was a jump scare just to get a jump scare in it. There was no point to it. There was no like need, no narrative need for it. Unlike the Don't Breathe that did it well. Here it was like every five minutes there was a jump scare for no reason. Oh my god, he was behind you. Oh my god, he just stepped on a rock. You know, it was like, fuck off, bro. Yeah, like, they did that. So I forgot to mention that. You're right. They did those false scares so many times and it was so 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 freaking annoying oh my so it's funny so it's halloween time as 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 you know and um and i promoted this on the essential films podcast and i that i am working and i'll I'll talk about this a little more later i'm working on a a hundred list of of horror movies that i've kind of uh asked a lot of people to contribute to uh more details on that later but in 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 preparing for this in preparing for writing for this i've been rewatching a lot of horror movies as well so i've been seeing what people do right in in horror movies oh some of the classics uh and and i'm watching i I just rewatched alien a couple days ago and there's one false jump scare in that movie and it's when uh the um it's when the character played by uh uh harry dean stanton is looking yeah who's looking who's looking for the cat right and uh but this is right after you know um i I if it was right after or right before uh tom berger got killed i can't remember but uh, he's looking for no it's it's right 
before, I think. Anyway, so he's looking for the cat for whatever reason, and then um, but the, but the audience knows that the alien is in there too. There's no music to set it up. It's completely silent. The only sound that you hear is the ambiance of of the of the spaceship as he and and the echoes of his footsteps as he's walking, looking around, looking for the stupid cat. And then all of a sudden, like there's a jump scare where the cat like jumps out at him, and like it's a jump scare, and it's a false jump scare of like a, it's a cat. It's not really the alien, but it's. In about two seconds, the 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 actual alien will be there and will kill him, right? That's how you do a jump scare. When you want to do a, a false jump scare, that's fine. Whenever you get the audience to jump and then realize, oh, that's not what we're supposed to be scared at. And then like two seconds later, there's the real threat. That's fine. But whenever you're just throwing in a false cat jump scare out of nowhere, and they didn't have any actual cats in Blair Witch. But you know what I mean by the, the cat jump scare yeah. where it's like, oh, just a cat. They did that so many times in this movie, and it was clear, and it was, and it was exactly like you described. It was like, oh, someone steps on a branch right behind me. Oh, what was that? And it's just someone stepping on a branch. They did that so many times, and they, and and like, it, it, it's such a, oh god, I it pissed me off so much. That's not how you do jump scares. You either make it an actual scare, or you trick them into getting their guard down and then scare them immediately. That's how you do scares. And it pissed, it just pissed me off that, that this movie just continued, just just went such a stupid route. And it, what's frustrating is that the I I was listening to a podcast recently, and I don't remember the name of the podcast, but it was a movie podcast of some sort. And they had the writer on, uh, one of the writers on the uh, on the podcast discussing uh, the original Blair Witch Project, and um. I, and you know, afterwards they they he was on there to like review it or talk about it. Like that was the 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 um the subject of the show was the Blair Witch Project. And then afterwards they did kind of like a little interview with him about how he's preparing for the new Blair Witch. I think his name is uh, Simon Barrett. Uh, I think that's the that's the guy's name. Um, and when you listen to this writer. He's really into that first movie, and he's really into like the fake documentary they made. He's really into like the mythology of the what that they created behind the Blair Witch. Everything, right? He put a lot of work into like the the um, the script and and everything else. But it the what actually gets put on the screen, and I don't know if he's to blame or the director's to blame, but it just it's such a conventional. You know, 2000 era horror movie that doesn't that does thing plays things so safe, plays things so stereotypically and so cliche that I just I cannot get behind this movie. Like it's yeah, and this has been a good movie. This has been a good year for like horror. I think I mean if you count Green Room as a horror movie, it, it's sort of a horror movie. Green Room was really good. Um, uh, Don't Breathe was was phenomenal. Ten Cloverfield Lane was really good. It, this movie just not it's not good at all I, I was really annoyed with it i know i know it's just it's, it's so uninspired so tacky so cliched i'd even call it lazy bro because it's just how how can you take this i mean you have you're making a direct sequel to the original film and you give us this it's like it's all just very facepalm worthy, you know? Like, I had, like, two theories going into this as I was watching it. The first one was what you mentioned, the whole time thing where they would run into Heather in the cabin and it'd be like, oh, shit. So it's t- all tied together. Um, the second theory I had 
And I thought this would have been a real ballsy thing to do. And I, I thought they were kind of hinting at it at some points was that we were going to find out that the whole Blair Witch thing was just a big hoax. Because, like, the guy, he was, like, putting up the, the, the sticks and all that. So I was, maybe they're going to find out at the end that it was him all along that was doing this. And it was all a big hoax. Now, that would have been real ballsy. But that was, like, the last thing I thought was going to happen. But I, it was in the back of my head. Uh, and, no, it's just very conventional. They played it very safe, like you just said. Like, nothing nothing ballsy, nothing risky. And it was just like, that's it. You know, the camera fell just like in the first one. And it's over. You know, like, really? Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, the 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 uh, they really, like – so it, it, for those of you who remember the first film, and this is a spoiler for the first film, but I mean it's 17 years old at this point. So I mean just deal with it. Uh, the the first film ends with um, Heather coming into uh, coming into the room, and I think Josh is the character that's standing in the corner very eerily, not moving. And then you hear the crash, and then the camera drops, just like you just said, and half uh, drops on the side, and the film's over. Um, it, it ends like that. But what's really in the new one as well, but what's really kind of ham fisted and awkward is how they is they try to explain why do people stand in the corner? And then when they explain it, you're like, okay. And then when they do it in the film itself, it becomes kind of like it's so cheesy. It's just like, really, we're doing this. We're doing this. (laughs) And like their explanation and and when I say this, don't get me wrong, I love this film, but their explanation makes as much sense as the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where they say, you know, just close your eyes, don't look at the Ark and you'll be fine. And I I love Raiders, but that that always doesn't make – that every time I see that movie, (laughs) that that part doesn't make any sense. But uh, it's the same kind of – it's the same kind of logic there. It's like, oh, stay in the corner you'll be fine. It's like, all right, whatever. Oh, God. It's so stupid. It's – I. Bad, it's a bad movie. Do not if you enjoyed the first one and go you watch, wanted, just go watch and you, the first one. And you wanted to check this out. I I am telling you, net folks, you will be disappointed. It does not add anything to the mythology or to the or or to the overall like you know it, it will actually it, it, it because you think it is because 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 during the movie it does introduce these neat ideas but it never pays them off it shows you the monster which in my opinion you should never show in this particular movie uh and and, and the people that they kill off are just boring ass characters that i know nobody cares about it's a bad film don't watch it yeah, if you really want to watch a Blair Witch film, just watch the original Blair Witch because you basically get almost the same thing that you would get in this new film. And I'm going to read you the last like couple sentences from the review I wrote because it's pretty apt way to kind of end this discussion. And I wrote, um, Blair Witch is nothing more than a cookie-cutter horror film riding the coattails of its more successful predecessor. And that, to me, is the most disappointing thing about it. Instead of getting a film that's worthy enough to stand next to its predecessor, we get a film that deserves to get lost in the woods and hopefully never to be found again. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, so I, you know what? We talked about this film longer than we probably should have. We really did. <laughs> but, we um, probably put more thought into it than the filmmakers did. That, there you go. There you go. But um, anyway, moving on to our next film. Now, this is another film that you haven't seen, Adolfo. This is Snowden. Is that correct? Yeah, I have not seen Snowden. I, 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 in your review, if you could stay away from spoilers, because I do want to, I still want to see. I, I guess it's kind of hard to give spoilers on a, on a true story. We all know what happened to him, but uh, I did want to see the film. I just haven't gotten around to it. 
All right, so uh, this is now Oliver Stone's latest film. Um, now, before I kind of get started, I want to ask you a question. Um, after JFK, bro, had, I mean, he there's a couple that I really like on his filmography, but after JFK, do you think, like, he hasn't really made anything of significance since? I'd have to really think about his filmography. Let me think. Uh, after JFK, what came after JFK? Um, um, natural born natural killers. Born killers. Yeah. Th- that is a significant film, but I think that is a highly overrated film. I, I do not like natural born killers. I think it's highly, it's highly misguided. And what it's trying to do, it's, it's just, I see, I get what it's trying to do, but it fails miserably at it. In my opinion, I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. The other significant film I think he did was, um, he did a couple movies that were significant, but probably for the wrong reasons. Uh, Alexander was a significant oh, film, but, oh it God, was, yeah. but it was a huge flop. World Trade Center was significant because it was the first like 9-11 movie, yeah. but nobody watched it. Or at least people didn't really – people weren't really ready for a 9-11 movie yet. Um, w was pretty significant, but again, kind of a huge flop yeah. and not very good. I saw I saw W was not very good, and the other and the other other one I can think of that was of any significance was the Wall Street sequel, which nobody went to see. Nobody so, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, JFK. Oh, he did Nixon too. Didn't he do Nixon? Yes, he did. Uh, Nixon, I think. I, I think that movie's kind of ignored, but I think some I, I, I have like a, a recollection of people liking it, like critics liking it, but I, it has no legacy to it, you know? So like I think the last lasting impact he had on, on cinema was probably Natural Born Killers. Um, it's a movie I'm not a big fan of. Uh, but JFK is probably, in my opinion, probably his last like classic movie. Oh, you know what he did? He did Any Given Sunday. Yeah, that's which, my second one. That was, I said two films. It was Natural Born Killers and Any Given Sunday were the two after that I personally liked. But um, it's Any Given Sunday is not a good movie, but it's it. Well, let me let me rephrase. The Al Pacino not, speech, bro. That's enough, bro. Let, let, let me rephrase. It's not a movie on the level of JFK or Platoon or or Born on the Fourth of July or Wall Street. It's not on that level, in my opinion, or it's not on the level of Scarface, which he wrote, even though he didn't direct. But it's an entertaining movie, you know. It, it I would watch it. I'd, I'd sit down and watch it as a as a as a piece of entertainment. It's just not like a masterpiece like some of his other work. Exactly. Yeah. And, but that kind of leads me to to Snowden though, because this is another instance of basically a forgettable kind of film. You know, it, and it seems to have kind of made that ever since JFK, in my opinion. Like, you know, there's you know exceptions here and there, you know, for different opinions or another. But I mean, after JFK. It, his career has been pretty forgettable, you know, to a certain extent, and kind of Snowden just kind of is another like notch on that belt. Um, but just a quick summary. I mean, I don't know if you, anyway, listening. I'm sure you all know who Edward Snowden is. We don't have to get into that. But basically, the narrative is kind of framed. It's it's a flashback narrative, so it's it's given to you in different pieces. Um, it starts in uh 2013 in Hong Kong, where uh Edward Snowden is kind of holed up in a hotel. And he meets with the documentary filmmaker uh, Laura Poitras. I hope I'm saying the name correctly. Played by Melissa Leo here, and uh, Zachary Quinto, who plays the columnist for the Guardian, Glenn Greenwald. And he was. These were the two people that Edward Snowden first broke the whole NSA thing to. Um, so they're kind of like the base of the film. And then throughout the narrative, you kind of get the story of how he came to work at the NSA, how he worked at the 
the CIA first, and you get his basically his whole story, his relationship with his then girlfriend, who's played by Shailene Woodley, um, and then you finally get to the big moment where he uh, basically gives up the NSA to the American people, and we find out what they're actually up to. Um, so the thing about this film is number one. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is great. He does a great performance as uh, Edward Snowden. He's like the, the main thing that everybody talks about when they talk about Snowden. It's this performance here because he's really, really good. He really – he re- the thing about him though – and I, I don't know if you saw The Walk. Have you seen The Walk or no? I have seen The Walk. It's It was a very odd film. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was kind of enjoyable for what it was, and I, I did see it in, the, in 3D, which was the only real way to see it. I at this point, if unless you have a 3D television, like, and you're just watching it on like a regular Blu-ray or and something, I don't think it's the same. It's not the same because really the only the payoff of the movie where he's walking on the tightrope is, the is actually <laughs> is pretty good if you're watching it in 3D on a on an IMAX it's screen. Amazing in 3D, bro. That's, Everything that's else hard. about the movie is really forgettable though. So yeah, I, I did see the walk. Well, in my opinion, the walk in his performance. He was actually really good. It was one of the the bright spots of the film was his you know performance. Like he kind of like he went into that whole the, he went into French mode, you know. And I thought he was really good at it. Here he kind of actually does the the Edward Snowden scowl. I mean, I've seen enough interviews where I can kind of recognize like the way he talks. And he tried to kind of channel that. And he I thought he did a really good job of kind of mimicking that. Um, but the thing that's kind of disappointing about the film is that it's just very safe, you know. And the reason why I bring up you know. JFK all the time was because JFK was so controversial and that kind of Oliver Stone kind of ingrained the whole conspiracy theory aspect to it. Um, and people thought they were gonna, he was going to do that with World Trade Center. He didn't do that. He played it safe, which made it kind of forgettable. Um, and we here too, like he really didn't add anything to the story. Like we know the story. Like anybody who's re- who reads the news knows the story of Edward Snowden already. Um, there was really nothing else he could have added to that. Other than, you know, something wacky, and he really kind of just played it safe, and it kind of made for a somewhat dull film, in my opinion. Like, there was, like, the mid middle part of the film was kind of actually pretty dull. Like, um, I did attend a screen at 11 o'clock at night, so maybe that, I have to account for that as well. So, but I did start getting sleepy midway through the film. Um, it picked up at the end once he finally got to the NSA, and he started, you know, doing the whole Cobra thing where he was going to steal the data and give it to the press and all that, so... I mean, it got good at that point again, but like the be- after the like the beginning part of the film, the middle was just very dull in my opinion, and it was a little hard to stay awake. But um, there's really nothing else I can say about it. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was good, you know. The story's pretty safe, but it, it, it's dull but pretty safe. Um, and that's pretty much it, bro. Like it's to, to me, it's a little bit hard to recommend because if you if you already know the story of Snowden, there's no reason for you to watch this because they don't give you any new information. Um, but I mean, I like, you know, biopics. I kind of like, you know, based on a true story stuff. So I'll go see it anyway, but that's just my opinion. If you're kind of into that stuff, as long as you realize that this is a movie and you have to research, you know, the real story, then by all means indulge in it. But it's really nothing significant, especially if you already know the story of Snowden. But I mean, I can't really add anything else to that. I mean, it's, it's a very thumbs in the middle for me. Okay. Interesting. I, I mean, I do want to check it out. Um, I, I just, again, it just, it just hasn't 
it just has slipped my attention so far. Um, but uh, as we were talking about before we went on the air, my time has been very limited. So I mean, I, I've been having to be a little bit like more picky about what I go to the theaters to see just because of my time. But I, I, I wanted to see this film. Um, I just haven't gotten to it. Yeah, and it's not something that I would rush out to see. I mean, by now it's already gone from theaters. Uh, let's see. The budget was $40 million. The box office was 28 so it ended up being a flop. So <clears throat> I will say that the trailer was terrible. Like, I, I thought the trailer uh, – it, it didn't turn me off like um, – like Deepwater Horizon kept doing, but it's just not, it's not a very well-produced trailer in my opinion. And every time I saw it, it was like, yeah, I know exactly the beats of the story and how everything's going to go. Like there was no, like, I feel like by Especially watching the trailer, us, like, I watched kind the, of the political junkie. So we already know all about Snowden. So I was hoping this would give me something else, like something to indulge in. And it was nothing, nothing new, you know? Yeah. He, he hasn't had, I mean, he really hasn't had a great movie since JFK. So like, it, it it doesn't seem like this is going to change my mind on that. The streak continues, you know. I like like see, the thing like I've talked about on the show, like even with Woody Allen, like every, like every other film, he has a trend. Like every other film with Woody Allen is good. Like he'll make a great film, then he'll make a, either a mediocre or a bad film. The next one. Then he'll go back to being good, then back to mediocre. I don't know. I think he's been on a mediocre streak for a while. I think the last great film he did was Midnight in Paris. You might be right about that because I um. Oh I wait, I'm sorry. Magic so. in the Moonlight. That was the last great movie. Oh, fuck <laughs> off, bro. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I know you hate them. I don't hate them as much as you, but it was certainly a mediocre film. It wasn't a very. It wasn't like one of his better films at all by any stretch of the imagination. Of of his mediocre films, to me, it was one of the better mediocre films, if I want to put it that way. But it's not. It's not on the level of like his things like uh, Midnight in Paris or Matchpoint. Uh, and it's certainly not level of anything like any hall or Manhattan. So it, it was just kind of it's a very, very forgettable movie. But, yeah, I, I would say that Woody Allen is on the is on the just keep churning out mediocrity bandwagon. And I heard the same about Cafe Society. Apparently, Cafe Society, not great right now. Yeah. And same thing with with our boy Oliver Stone here. Just a streak of mediocrity since 1991, it seems. So mm. anyway, well, that's uh. That's Snowden, um, and now we finally get to our main event film, which I'm very excited to talk about because I had a lot of fun watching this. I'll let you uh, intro it. That's uh, The Magnificent Seven by our boy Antoine Fuqua. So, take it you know, it's funny that we we started the podcast talking about um, about Westworld because in the original Westworld, Yul Brenner is uh, a robot. Uh, in in Westworld, which is you know this futuristic world that takes that is that is you know where an amusement park is has very lifelike characters walking around and it lets you live out your fantasies in this particular setting. In this case, it's Westworld, a world based on on the old West. The Yule Brenner character is a robot that kind of short circuits and thinks it's real and starts killing people, and that's kind of the the basis of the film. But in that film. Uh, Yul Brenner's character, Yul Brenner's robot, is dressed like his character from the original Magnificent Seven. Uh, so it's funny that the, it's it's kind of a weird tie-in that we accidentally had there. That's true. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the Magnificent Seven, the 2016 version, uh, is a remake of the 1960 Magnificent Seven, which in itself was a remake of Seven Samurai from 1954 by Akira. Uh, Kurosawa. Um, 
I have been on record as 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 hating remakes in, in on a lot of the on a lot of the uh, episodes that we've done here, uh, usually because and and let me and I do want to say it's not the concept of a remake that bothers me. It's the reasoning behind the remake and the execution of the remake. So for a lot of the remakes that we've discussed over the last several years on the show, it's usually a cash grab. Uh, because it's a name that is kind of familiar in like the previous generation's vine. So in other words, you know, the current generation of millennials. So they so so um, they use they go back to like the the previous generation of Generation X and start grabbing properties that they grew up with. And and, and recently it's properties from the 80s, things like Red Dawn or Point Break or Karate Kid or Ghostbusters, things from the 80s and early 90s that that adult that people who are in their 30s and early 40s now grew up with right and, and they're trying to capitalize on the, on that name brand for them while also trying to introduce a new audience to it but then with all, every single one of those cases not doing anything really new or exciting with the name or the franchise just kind of regurgitating the same material without really giving any sort of new spin on it and it seems uh, like next year bro they're already gonna dive into the 90s with the power rangers but i'm excited for that shit, bro so i mean that's just me because i grew up on that so but, that's, that's, but you know, to your point, the though, power, that that's what they're trying to go for, people who grew up on that stuff. Yeah, you know what? The Power Rangers, though, I would forgive it a little a little more because when it comes to things that are like superheroes, which I would count the Power Rangers are, those kind of led themselves to be reinterpreted every several years. And the Power Rangers have certainly be, been reinterpreted themselves every several years with new, with new incarnations, you know, uh, every like three or four years, right? So that one, I, I'm not a big Power Rangers fan. Like Power Rangers, whenever it first aired, I was maybe – 14 or 15 so i was already starting to age out of that kind of programming so i it, it never i don't have any nostalgia for it um but i did but but even if i did have nostalgia for it i don't think it would bother me because with things like superhero movies they too tend to have that kind of like every several years we're gonna reboot it and start something new like batman did did that you know what i mean superman did that it, it's just that's just kind of it. Just kind of goes the flow. The only thing I will kind of criticize it for is that whenever I saw the, any publicity I've seen on it, and it's like they really want Power Rangers to be Iron Man because their suits look like Iron Man. <laughs> and like I was like, I get it, you guys. You saw Iron Man. That's what you want. But whatever. Anyway, back to the Magnificent Seven. So the original Magnificent Seven was a remake of Seven Samurai, as we, as we mentioned, and that is the proper way, to, in my opinion, to do a remake where you take the concept. Uh, which in the Seven Samurai was the Seven Samurai who were contracted by a local village uh, that was being, you know, hounded by the, this kind of these kind of warlords uh, to defend the village from these warlords and teach the and teach the villagers how to fight. That's the Magnificent Seven took the same idea except transferred it to the Old West and made them cowboys. So the new Magnificent Seven doesn't really change that format. It's literally the same formula as both Seven Samurai and the original Magnificent Seven. What what makes this remake, in my opinion, worthwhile is that while it doesn't necessarily do anything new with the formula, and it's certainly not capitalizing on nostalgia of people from like, because anybody who saw Magnificent Seven in the theaters originally is is going to be too old to be a marketable age group right now. So they're clearing up the bank on the name. Um, but it to the them doing what they did do with this remake that I appreciated while they didn't take anything necessarily new they made 
they executed a really well done film, which is something that I can't say for a lot of remakes nowadays. It's an incredibly well done action movie. It's really pretty well done um, uh, western, uh, and it, it and it does kind of flip a little bit of the genre convention. So in in the first Magnificent Seven, I believe they're just seven white guys. Uh, there might have been like a, a Mexican in there, but I don't know. But it, it, I, I can't remember the original one well enough. But this one, they, it's a little bit more diverse. You got Denzel in there. You got a Native American. You got a Mexican, and then a couple white guys. Oh no, you got an Asian guy too. You got a Chinese guy, I think, yep. as well. So so it's a little bit more diverse in that in that sense. Um, the 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 main actors in the film are all really good. You got Denzel, who's always who always. Denzel's like our last great movie star. You know, there's not a lot of great movie stars left. I think Denzel's one of the last ones. You got Chris Pratt, who's one of the new rising movie stars. You've got uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, who's always amazing in pretty much anything he's in. Uh, and he's one of the best character actors around. Uh, and uh, you've got Ethan Hawke, who uh, plays kind of not really a hero, but someone who has to get redeemed by the end of the film. And then you've got uh, – oh, I'm already blanking on his name, the villain um, – I always forget this guy's name. What's his name? Uh, what's uh, his name? Um, uh, Peter Sarsgaard. Peter Sarsgaard. Thank you. And as the villain, and you've got a really, really, really strong cast. Um, it, it, the act, it's Anton Fuqua. Anton Fuqua is very, very good at action sequences, and he and he really delivers in this film with the action sequences. The you know, as far as story goes, you're not going to get anything new. You're not going to get anything surprising. Um, but what you are going to get is an incredibly well acted film and an incredibly well. I mean, this is a great action film. the The action film is the action in this in this movie is very, very well done. Not a lot of CGI that I could tell. I, I'm sure there were was some, uh, but from what I could tell, not a lot of CGI. It looked like a lot of practical stunt work, which I'm always a big fan of. Uh, again, I know that it, it, movies nowadays have CGI. You can't get around that. I know it happens. It just from if they used any, it wasn't that noticeable. It kind of reminded me of the the recent Fast and Furious movies where they they don't use a lot of CGI and it's a lot more of the practical stunts. This looked like a lot of practical stunts. If there was any CGI, it was probably anything where horses got hurt. They probably used CGIs, right? But uh, but it, it, yeah, this this was. Uh, a really well-directed action film. Really, even though it doesn't do anything new with the material, it 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 executes it so well, and and it gives it is so much fun to watch that you forgive the fact that it's basically a retread of the pre uh, of the original film. So, uh, I would give this movie a, a very hearty recommendation. I believe it's still in theaters. You probably still catch it in theaters, uh, and uh, it, it's you know Chris Pratt is great, Ethan Hawke's great, Denzel's great. Vincent Nafrio is great. Uh, it's a great cast, great action. It's, it has my full recommendation. I uh, pretty much echo all of your sentiments here. Um, this is a film that, again, it's not you know turning water into wine. It's not you know reinventing the wheel. It's basically a very safe remake of the Magnificent Seven, uh, 1960 Magnificent Seven. But the thing that the draw here is the actors and their characters, and they hit it out of the park here. Denzel's great, like you said, Chris Pratt is great, Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio, um, Peter Sarsgaard, all these guys are great. And then especially, and then it's a great action sequences, great action film, um, and that whole like final act is just thrilling, absolutely thrilling stuff. You're on the edge of your seat the entire time. I, I just, oh. I love that entire final act. 
the final act, which is basically the final, which is basically a half an hour of the final showdown between the village, uh, the townspeople, and and the and the evil gang, right? Is so it's just wall to wall action, uh, and it's so well directed, and it's so tense and so like you said, edge of your seat. Um, there's actual consequences. People in the Magnificent Seven die. I'm not gonna tell you which ones, uh, but you know there are. You know, in the Magnificent Seven, four, four of the main Magnificent Seven uh, members are name actors. Uh, I'm just I'm not going to tell you which ones die, but name actors die in this film. Uh, so it, it, it so there are heavy consequences. Like it's not like, oh, everyone, you know, uh, you know, makes it out at the end and like is standing tall. No, people die. And and, and that's and I love that that happened because there's consequences. Um, I love the. um the retribution of the Ethan Hawke character because like uh, it, it, I don't think this is too much spoilers to give away but you know he he plays a, a kind of like the very feared like gunman right but he also is he kind of is suffering from PTSD uh, so that there are points where in the movie that you think oh he's not what he used to be he's not he can't really handle what he used to be, like because he's he's scared but then there's a point where they show that he can actually still he still has the skill left he just doesn't have maybe the heart to do it anymore uh, and then he has a great retribution at the end of the and you know it's perfectly set up for that retribution right it, it's absolutely you know it's going to happen but it's still a very satisfying moment when it happens uh, of course of course and uh, and, uh, and that's the thing like sorry to interrupt and that's the thing almost everything in this movie is pretty predictable but uh, I mean, Chris, is spot on, and that's the execution is spot on. The execution is spot on. And there's nothing wrong with predictable as long as you – as the director takes you along for that ride and, and you are satisfied at the end of that ride. And like you don't necessarily always have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to execute it well enough that you are – that you leave the audience satisfied. And I left very satisfied here. Of course, man. Like, I was freaking hooting and hollering during that, that whole final act. It was just such a thrilling, thrilling sequence. Um, and I, and like you said, I was very happy to see that, you know, all the Magnificent Seven weren't John Cena. You know, there were consequences and some of them did die. So, you know, that that's that, you know, that's just made it all too real for me. You know, it kind of it just drew me in anymore because, like you said, there's consequences to this battle. You know, it's not just the Magnificent Seven just kicking everybody's ass like John Cena would. So, um, yeah, it's just the whole the, just the whole film is just fun. Like we we've we've said it enough times already. The the film is just fun. It's edge of your seat. You know, it's, you know, great roller coaster film, great popcorn movie. Um, uh, I I I don't highly recommend it. But you know, if you're kind of if you have nothing to watch on a Saturday night, you know, definitely throw that in because you're gonna have a lot of fun. And and boy, is Chris is Chris Pratt's uh, star rising, rising or what? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jurassic World, uh, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, he's got two major franchises already under his belt. Now, this this prop, I mean, this movie is set up not to really be a franchise. It, it's a one and done, right? Yeah. Like, I, although I guess the 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 original Magnificent Seven actually did have a sequel called The Return of the Magnificent Seven, which I've never seen, but from what I've been told, it's not a good movie. Um, so, and I guess in theory, this could spawn a franchise. I don't know, but I, I highly doubt it will. Regardless, he's already got two major franchises under his belt. He's got this big 
Magnificent Seven movie under his belt. He's going to be uh, in some big sci-fi movie with Jennifer Lawrence this year. He's got Guardians 2 coming out. This guy, is a he's a star now. Like, there's no turning back on it. Uh, so I, I'm pretty excited. Uh, and, you know, he's good at it. He, he exactly. is – I'm not gonna. I don't want to make comparisons to like other older actors or anything because I've heard a lot of people compare him to like, um, uh, like in like like Harrison Ford in the Indiana Jones movies. I've heard that comparison a lot. I wouldn't go that far, uh, but he does. He certainly has. He certainly, you know what he he has that kind of character that would have fit in like a late '80s, early '90s action movie where he is the star, but he's wisecracking the whole time. But th- even though he's wisecracking the whole time, you you take him seriously, and you know that he's a threat to the bad guys and things like that. So it, it, he does kind of have that charm to him. Uh, and I think he's he's definitely got. I mean. I, the most obvious statement of this podcast ever. He's got a very bright future. Of course, man. Of course. Did you see that uh, that little mini Guardians clip? That they I added? did see the mini Guardians clip. Actually, both that and uh, the new Logan trailer dropped drop within two days of each other. Uh, the Guardians clip looked very cool. Um, it was nothing, though. It was a teaser. It was, it was nothing, the definition yeah. of a teaser. Like, they show you no plot elements. Even though James Gunn was like, I swear to God, this is not a teaser for the trailer. You know, it's just, I just wanted to give you a little. And, and apparently, it is not what they showed at Comic Con. Apparently, what they showed at Comic Con is was different than this because what at Comic Con you see the Kurt Russell character, you see the Sylvester Stallone character, but you did not, but you did not see any of those two in this film, in this uh, trailer, this little teaser at all. So it, it's not the same one they showed at Comic Con. It's a different trailer. But that said, it it certainly looks like they got the 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 feeling right. They they brought back hooked on a feeling. You know, um, if anything, I I, I want I uh, even if the movie. Even if Guardians Two sucks, you know that that soundtrack's gonna be banging. So I'm pretty I'm looking forward to that. Um, did you did you see the Logan trailer? Uh, I have not watched it yet, but I've I've heard great things from everybody. Watch it. It's it's all over the place now. It use it is set to the uh, Johnny Cash's version of the song Hurt, and it is absolutely perfect. Uh, now, when you watch it, you might be a little confused as to where this falls in the time, the very convoluted timeline of the X Men movies. Uh, but that said, it is absolutely a phenomenal trailer. But as we've seen before, sometimes trailers are really good and the movie is real is not like suicide squad for example uh so you know we that should be like we should do like a whole podcast on like awesome trailers that delivered shitty movies oh there you go that's the concept that we could do because there's so many i mean there's so many things like off the top of my head that i could think of like suicide squad pretty much any of the current dc movies have had awesome trailers with with crappy results resulting movies the, all the star wars prequels uh you know like there's so many out there that you can choose from yeah man <laughs> but i'm definitely gonna check out the uh the logan trailer and it's the last go around for for hugh jackman so yeah basically something. he's like i mean he's 50 at this point right so like he's he's basically said i'm too old for this you know he's he's basically danny glover he's like i'm too old for this shit he cannot like constantly be putting his body through that kind of through that kind of like ripped, you know, uh, regimen every single day anymore. So this is it. He's done. Now I wouldn't put it past them to like throw him in a cameo and like Deadpool or something where he doesn't need to work out and he can just show up for a scene. I wouldn't put that past them. But for as far as him being Logan in a starring role for like a you know for the full length of the film, this is his last time. 
that's why I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be bittersweet, you know, end of an era here. But uh, but I mean, I, but I mean, you gotta. I mean, seriously, if Fox wants to throw him like, hey, you want to come on set for a day and like make a quick like six figure salary for one day, I'm sure he'll do it. Hell you know, yeah. <laughs> of course. But anyway, I think that's gonna wrap it up for Force Perspective episode 84. Uh, any questions, comments, feedback? Just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. Just put in something like Force Perspective or FP. You can follow us also on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast. Uh, Dolfo, go ahead and plug the uh, our little Halloween episode that should be up by the time this drops. So uh, I've I've got a lot to plug here. First, uh, the Essential Films Podcast. Uh, follow that on Twitter at Essential Films. Uh, go to the website uh, EssentialFilmsPodcast.com. The most recent podcast we did was Jaws, uh, which was a really fun episode, our longest episode yet. Uh, it was tracking to be the, our most downloaded episode at one point, but now the, the current king is the current king of the is is still Vertigo as the most downloaded episodes. Uh, but it, Jaws is tracking pretty well right now. Um, it, it is uh, it was a really fun episode to do. So if you if you like Jaws, if you like uh, uh, old movies and our discussion on old movies, please listen to the Jaws episode and, and subscribe to that show as well. Um, our next episode episode will be our our will be our Halloween episode and the movie will be 1978 Halloween uh, so uh, please uh, make sure you tune into that and speaking of Halloween films uh, I, I've mentioned this on the other podcast I'm gonna mention and I teased it earlier on essentialfilmspodcast.com I am uh, doing a big 100 uh, essential horror films countdown uh, and usually for so these countdowns I've in the past I've usually just kind of gathered all the movies that I thought were, were good enough and I put them in my own 100 countdown this time I did things a lot differently I went and outsourced a lot of opinions from people you you contributed to the list uh, Big D Geek them contributed to the list uh, Draven our frequent collaborator here on the show contributed to the list plus I also went out to other bloggers other podcasters writers our, our buddy Joe Randazzo contributed to the list Dave Campfield from the Caesar and Auto movies contributed to the list. Uh, I also got some other podcasters, uh, from, like guys from Film Spotting, from Good Times, Great Movies, uh, and many other um, many other podcasts and, and bloggers and, and redditors. All contributed to this list. It's it's a, I'm writing it now. Actually, if you um, I've been putting them up in in segments. So right now, as of this recording, you can see. Uh, entries number 100 through 81. I'm currently working on the next segment, which will be 80 through 71. So I'm trying to put up 10 a day. So please go and check those out. Uh, it's it's going to be – it's a lot of fun. So uh, I I'm, I hope that you guys enjoy that. Awesome, awesome. And, and all I can do is just plug you know the Twitter again. My Twitter is at SportsGuy515. Um, you can check out all our archives at geekdom101.com. You can also check them out on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, and we, we, I mean, we've got a lot of stuff in the works right now, man. I mean, it's uh, it's a little bit under wraps now, but when the timing's right, we're gonna make a whole big thing out of it. But I'm very excited for the future of both of us in the future of this show. So, um, stay tuned, folks. It's gonna be a wild ride. Um. All right. Um, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Actually, this is the last episode before Halloween. Um, I'm kind of going to put you on the spot now because I don't know if by this time you're going to have the uh, the whole list up. But um, this last weekend before – because Halloween's on a Monday, unfortunately, this year. But, you know, in this last weekend, you know, to kind of in, get into the Halloween spirit, like just, this, just throw out some random stuff people could watch. For example, Halloween – 
which you can listen to on the Essential Films podcast. We're going to talk about that next. Uh, Friday the 13th, Part 1 and Part 2, in my opinion. Everything else is kind of just cheesy, <laughs> cheesiness. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street, check out those films. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. The Conjuring, you know. Uh, come on, help me out here. There's a lot. Frankenstein, you know, Dracula. Well, I, I would so. say as far as far as far as Halloween movies, I would say you, the original Universal monster movies. So Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, uh, Mummy, Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I'm missing one. I'm missing one. I'm missing one. Oh, Phantom of the Opera. The the original Universal Halloween movies on those are all excellent choices. Um, my favorite Dracula movie is Bram Stoker's Dracula. I know I know Keanu Reeves is oh, terrible. God. I know, I know he is. But the rest of the movie is actually pretty fantastic. It's a it visually, is. it's a beautiful movie. It's an actually gorgeous movie. And actually, Gary Oldman's portrayal of Dracula is my favorite portrayal. I know it's not the best one. I I know that I you know, a lot of people prefer the Bela Lugosi one. A lot of people prefer Christopher Lee. Um, but to me, I I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's my personal favorite. I have the uh, uh, they just re-released it in like in a digit book, which is like the cinema signature series or some shit. Like, yeah, I I, I I've been meaning to pick that up. I just been, uh, I just have way too many un, unwatched DVDs on and Blu-rays on my shelf. I can't really justify buying more right now. Um, but but yeah, that that really want to do that because I'm sure it looks beautiful on Blu-ray. And all I have right now is like a a cheap like bare bones DVD. So uh, it, it's so cheap. It's like it's the it's the kind of the, it's like a first gen DVD, right? So like if you ever bought any of those DVDs, like this is like when DVDs were were new and they didn't even have interactive menus. It was just like when you got to the when you put the DVD in, it's just like play that's like the only option so like so uh no it's not it is not a snap case it, it is actually the the regular dvd case uh, but it's uh it, but yeah it, it that's how bare bones it is and i've been meaning to upgrade it for a while i just have not it just hasn't been my priority i would i would echo friday the 13th one and two um i would also actually throw in uh final chapter which is part four which is the really the best because one is Jason's mom, two is the first Jason, but he doesn't have the hockey mask. Uh, Final Chapter is the best movie of Jason with the hockey mask um, in in what you think of whenever you think of Jason. That is the Final Chapter is the best one of those. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Night, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the, the original is very good. Uh, part three, Dream Warriors is really good. And New Nightmare is really, really good. Um, what else? Um, well, let's see. Who do we got? Like, well, oh, Child's Play. I just bought the uh, the Screen Factory Blu-ray. So that's you got? Awesome. I don't think I got my 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 Blu-ray yet. I should have yeah, gotten it. I haven't got Nighthawks already, bro. You got? I you got Nighthawks? Yeah. Did I not get? You know what? All I have, my shit I came first... in, bro. Carrie, Child's Play, Nighthawks. Oh, I, have, I got I all do, my shit. I do have Carrie, and that's another good one. I do have Carrie. Um. I, you know what? I, as I as I just said, I have so many unwatched DVDs. May, might be just being my pal. I'm unwatched DVDs right now, so that's probably what happened to it. Um, the Evil Dead trilogy, you can't go wrong with that. Um, Alien and Aliens, can't go wrong with those. Rosemary's Baby, Psycho. Yep. Um, Exorcist, man. A Halloween Three, Season of the Witch. It's a very good Halloween movie. Uh, and because we talked about it earlier, the Blair Witch Project. It's also good. There you go. So that, I mean, those are just off the top of my head. I mean, don't, exactly. I mean, don't yell at me. I mean, these will probably most of these, if not all these, are, are appearing on the on the countdown that I'm doing. Um, but uh, and because it, I mean, 
I can I, because it's not because these are already up. I can briefly run through the ones that are already on the countdown. There's Carnival of Souls, Eyes Without a Face, House on Haunted Hill. I Walked with a Zombie, The Mist, which is a great movie, uh, American Psycho, Bram Stoker's Dracula, They Live, R.I.P. Roddy Piper, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Friday the 13th Part 2, An American Werewolf in London, Night of the Hunter, which was an interesting addition, but a lot oh, of people that's, voted. that's a great pick. But I didn't. I never would have thought of that as a horror movie, but enough people voted for it. It, ca- it cracked the top 10, or cracked the top 100. Uh, Diabolique, uh, we've discussed that nice. one before, I think. Yes, uh, Freaks. Have. Uh, West Grave's New Nightmare, Hellraiser, the original Fright Night, uh, The Haunting, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Universal's The Mummy from 1932, and Wreck, which is the uh, – have you ever seen Wreck? I haven't. Oh, Wreck is a fantastic movie. It's a Spanish zombie movie, uh, and it's one of the most legitimately frightening movies. And it, it's found footage. It's zombie. I'm sorry. It's infected. They're not zombies. They're infected. Um, it's one of the most uh, actually ter- most terrifying recent uh, infected zombie movies I've seen in a while. So I, I really like that one. The, those are the ones that have already made the list that have already been published. Those are all great choices for Halloween movies as well. Exactly. I mean, I mean, Jaws as well. We did that on essential films. The Omen, The Birds, The Haunting. Uh, what else? Like, I mean, you can consider Gremlins a Halloween film too, as well. I mean, though, like it's more Christmassy kind of, but you know, it is kind of a Halloween film as well. Um, freaking, uh, if you want to go on the lighter side, you can also do The Nightmare Before Christmas. So, yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas works. Of yeah, course. absolutely. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of shit you can watch this yeah. weekend. So just indulge. The know, Monster indulge Squad. The that's another good uh, light one there. Which one? The Monster Squad. That's true. Exactly. That's another one. Yeah, so just enjoy yourself this weekend. Just enjoy all the Halloween films you can, you know, and enjoy. Yeah. And have a happy don't, Halloween, folks. Just don't watch Blair Witch 2016. Don't watch that one. And don't watch Paranormal Activity because I hate that movie. So I actually like Paranormal Activity. I, no, I hate it. I, 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 I like that film. I think the first one's pretty good. I've never seen the other ones, so. <laughs> though. Anyway, uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Um... No, I don't think I have anything else. I think we gave you plenty to, to, to think about as far as Halloween movies, and uh, I picked my show and my stuff, and I think we had a decent show here. I think uh, it's short, shorter than usual, but I think we packed it pretty well. Uh, absolutely. Um, join us next week. Next week we're going to get into more of our the recent releases. Um, Deepwater Horizon. Oh, you're going <laughs> to you, tra- you kind of sideways trashed it enough on on, on this on this episode. I will never watch that movie. I guarantee I'm never gonna watch it. I'm not gonna do it. And well, like it's I just refuse to do it. But uh that one, Girl on the Train and the Accountant will be featured on next week's episode. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. But thank you for joining us on episode eighty four on behalf of Adolfo on Sports Life One Five and we will see you next time. Take it easy everybody.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.